Hi, this is Game Show from host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews. Tonight, we're sitting down with Andrew Monroe, writer. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. Well, hey there. This is Andrew Monroe. I am a writer, as he said. I like to do fantasy writing, uh, kind of a sci-fi twist to it. And I also do digital marketing and kind of spread the word about self-publishing for writers and, you know, comic book artists. Cool. So what kind of uh, comics do you write, or do you prefer more prose? So when I'm writing, I do long form, so I'm, I'm a prose kind of guy doing the longer books and novels. That said, I've my actual first, first thing, you know, project I tried to work on was actually comics. And I, I couldn't vibe with it at the beginning because I didn't quite have the talent to write properly. And I also have zero artistic ability. And... At the time, I didn't realize that, like, the artist was usually separate from the writer. And I was like, I don't get how people do this. You know, these people are amazing. I don't know how they're so multi-talented because, you know, I'm an idiot like that. So it's down the road. It's definitely been something I'm looking at getting back into whenever I find a good artist to work with. But uh, right now, I'm just a prose, you know, author. So uh, when you basically start writing, do you prefer doing – basically, what's your process? Well, it, it would be generous to say there's an actual process there. <laughs> it, uh, it's more like a, a storm of ideas and different techniques until something starts to solidify. So generally I try an outline first. Uh, it doesn't usually work very well, but it does help me with the world building. And that's maybe more of a fantasy sci-fi kind of thing where you actually have to build out that world. But that's really all the, outlining does for me right now is help with world building and help me understand where I'm wanting to go with the story versus actually, you know, plotting out what I'm going to do with the story. So I start with that outline and then I usually throw the outline away uh, and I'm usually really sad for a month or two and then I get into the writing. And so that usually involves almost a grind and I, maybe, maybe I'm different than other authors, but I, I feel like everybody who does a creative project kind of runs into this. And essentially, you have to figure out a way to set time aside every day to work on your project. Project, And that's that's really the only process you can do. I don't think a lot of people can stop and start and stop and start and come back to something after a bunch of time between it. You never, you never finish anything that way. So my main thing is trying to make it the first priority in the morning. I get down, open up the computer, and just start pounding away at the keyboard and hope something comes out that's decent. I do that till I finish a book. I finish the book and then I go back and the really bad part starts where I start trying to do, you know, the, the first draft editing and I go through and look at all the terrible mistakes and misused words and just embarrassing mistakes that happen whenever you're writing a first draft that make you seem like, like you shouldn't be in that industry. So once I go from there, then it's time to actually send it off for editing. Uh, personally, I have, you know, an editor friend and I send it to him. And then we kind of go back and forth, get some beta readers in, have them look at it. And it's just this this grinding process of kind of chipping away at that first draft, second draft, third draft, until something's a little more polished. And then and after that, it's release and then a whole lot of marketing. Okay. So you're more of a, it sounds like you're more of a pantser than a plotter. <laughs> yes, uh, that is exactly right. I... Wish I was more of a plotter, but 100% by the pants kind of guy. 
Yeah, it's sort of fun doing the Panzer because I'm usually on the other extreme. I'm pretty much the plotter. Really? How does that work for you? Usually pretty good. It basically makes sure I know basically where everything's going and I know where everything, I can adjust things on the fly if I have to. So, so do you... Oh, please go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, basically, I go with an outline. I adjust as I need need to. On that outline, are you are you putting like, hey, chapter one, this is what happens in chapter one, chapter two, here's what happened in chapter two, and putting like plot points in there, or are you doing it scene by scene, or how does that work? Because I I've, I've yet to figure out how to make a good outline actually work for a, a true novel format, even though it seems like the right way to do it. Um, I don't go chapters. That would drive me nuts. Mm. In fact, the only time I really use chapters is when I'm doing something involving, uh, you know, nano or nano rhyme or something like that. It's just uh-huh. easy, you know, because it's easy to divide chapters by the day you day you work. But um, no, I go more of a film format, which I know sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it's you basically do it's just a summary of whatever you want to happen in that particular scene, and okay. that's pretty much it. So you're creating a whole bunch of scenes at the beginning, and you're saying, you're saying like, here's 20 scenes, and then you're kind of rearranging them however you see they work best, or is it like a flowchart of scenes? It's pretty much a flowchart. Okay. As in, I know that... That, I know that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I'll have one action leading into another action, and I can actually then plot it on an actual plot graph, and then, yeah, it gets ridiculous. Huh. See, I, I'm bad at that. I'm, I am not a good planner. <laughs> I'm thinking about, you know, ending my lease next month and maybe buying a house. And like, that's definitely something I probably should have should have figured out more than like 30 days in advance. Right. That's, but like, that's a good illustration of just how bad at planning I am. Uh, obviously, the Bray Bradbury School. <laughs> so one, of the more, one of the more infamous quotes from Ray Bradbury is that he basically figures that part of being, you know, part of things is that part of figuring them out is to basically basically jump off a uh, jump off something and then try to figure out how to fly on the way up or the way down. Yes, that's that is the philosophy I is you know ascribe to. <laughs> he uh I so Slaughterhouse Five Five was his first novel I think is that correct? Oh, that's Kurt Vonnegut. You're right. Well, then Kurt Vonnegut, I think Slaughterhouse, this is completely separate. Ray Bradbury was Fahrenheit 451 because I'm an idiot. Um, but I'm going to change on you because that's what popped in my head. Kurt Vonnegut wrote Slaughter, Slaughterhouse 5 as his first novel, I'm pretty sure. And it was his best-selling novel. And then everything after that was just kind of not nearly as you know successful uh, financially from what I understand. Now, I, I might be misquoting, but I just I remember reading something about that and thought that would be kind of sad to have your best novel be your first novel and everything I think after that you're just like why does nobody like this as much I think it's because you got way too serious which is way too, which is a weird way of looking at it and, and he started you know trying to spread his own serious views instead of kind of just enjoying the process of writing I, I don't know I <laughs> haven't asked him, so <laughs> don't quote me on that. So how many, uh, what were, you, what were you saying? No, no, go ahead. I 
I think it was just you tried to be too much Tom, uh, too much Mark Twain, and it just wasn't something he was really into. Gotcha. Well, I mean, who doesn't want to, you know, Mark Twain is a household name. That's, <laughs> I get it. It'd be cool to have his kind of fame, but he was, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go hang out in a cabin and write. I'm a little too invested in my indoor plumbing, plumbing and Netflix. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. So how many books have you written or uh, I guess projects you worked on? We won't say books necessarily. Okay, well, that's probably more than me. I think I'm at like two, maybe three if you count, you know, past failures. <laughs> Good, I'm, I'm taking that. Back. So I know uh, the side side of uh, the U.S. that you live on, you guys seem to have a lot more creative types types than we have down here in Texas. Why is that? Is it the weather? I'm not really sure in all honesty. I think Texas is pretty much its own weird thing. I could see that. <laughs> I mean, it's just with California, we tend to basically have a lot of stuff set up here that's pretty much art. You know, we were founded by a lot of artistic people when it comes down to it. I mean, a lot of people came out here, you know, basically do the ranching, that sort of thing. And then, well, you had all this really, you know, it was really pretty much static over in the East Coast, and so they decided to try to get away from that as much as possible. Except, of course, they didn't go north because it was too cold. That's true. Eh? It gets cold up there. <laughs> but everywhere it seems kind of cold compared to Texas. Well, with Texas, I think you have the really interesting situation that most of Texas history is pretty much struggle. And when you see a lot of struggle, you don't see a lot of artists. Yeah, they're too they're too busy dealing with the heat and you know living to enjoy a creative process. But that doesn't you know that doesn't excuse the last fifty, sixty, seventy five years. It's hell, hundred years even really. Like I don't know, it's just strange. It's it's not a cultural thing down here and here, at least in my neck of the woods, to be on the creative side. Texas is, however, starting to uh, do some really interesting stuff, especially considering you guys do have Austin, right? See, Austin is a whole different – Austin is like you transplant California, like a, a, I don't know, a creative culture community out of California, and you drop it in the middle of Texas. It's, it's its own almost nation inside of Texas. It's wild. But, yeah, it, they're doing some really cool stuff down in Austin. Um, but it's almost solely isolated to Austin on the creative front. At least in terms of big change. Yeah, I think you're in Austin. I'm sorry. No, I've never been, been to Austin. I've been oh, through Texas. Check it, out. It, it Texas is one thing, but you if you haven't been to Austin, you're missing on a really cool, interesting part of Texas. There's just the community unity there's like really interesting. There's amazing food scene. Uh, just really cool stuff, and like South by Southwest is supposedly really cool. I was really hoping to go this year, but then COVID hit up hit us, and you know travel wasn't really encouraged. <laughs> so, but oh well. Yeah, there might be a place you might want to look into moving into. There's a lot of people I think that do leave California and move to Austin. 
because they can essentially live in the same environment for half the cost. <laughs> Which, that's nice, I, I, I assume. You guys' housing prices are insane compared to us. All depends on where you move, in all honesty. If you go to L.A. or San Francisco, definitely. Oh, yeah, I guess there is that. I'm, I'm stuck on a, a macro-cultural level of what I understand California housing prices are. I'm sure it's not like that everywhere, because us normal people can't afford $5,000 a month rent. <laughs> but basically, the big divider is pretty much uh, San Francisco. So Northern California is vastly different than Southern California is. Okay, that's good to know. I I've been to San Diego and San Francisco and Sacramento, and that's about it for me. That's and both all three of them. Sacramento, I'm not even really counting because it really was like a one day work trip kind of thing. But the other two, it was you know weekend trips there, and I was like, this is cool. All right, back to Texas. <laughs> Let's just say I think if you went a little bit further, you'd see a lot more familiarity with Texas. <laughs> okay, good to know. So uh, on the comic front, what you know, what is your favorite comic? Because I just want to start there. Uh, probably if the one I tend to recommend the most is Fantastic Four versus X Men. Okay. Oh, let me let me bounce off that real quick. What do you think about graphic novels compared to comics? Um, I don't mind either one of them, but I generally, I generally prefer the regular the series comics because they give a little bit more in-depth in, as far as playing around with the events and the characters. Okay, sure. See, I'm a, I like comics, but whenever it comes to, if I'm choosing between, you know, a graphic novel and a comic book series, I'm always leaning towards the graphic novel because I like, I like that bigger bite that I get, get without having to wait as long. Right. So Saga for me is like my oh, Saga is what I yell at everybody. I actually was watching uh, a Netflix of all the shows. There's this one on Netflix called All American. Uh, and it's I don't know if you've seen that pop up on your Netflix if you're looking around, but it's a football show. And that's not normally something I really go in for. Uh, not really a football sports kind of guy. But I was like, you know what? Let's check it out. It, it sounds interesting. I need to change things up a little bit. I've watched everything else because I'm stuck at home. So I've turned it on. And the very first episode in the first five minutes, it's, there's this kid's brother. And he's reading Saga. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm in. Whatever the show is, I'm in. They're repping. And they had like a whole discussion about Saga for like in the first 10, 15 minutes of this football show because this little kid's in the comic books. And I was like, yep. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm watching this for the little brother who's, you know, nerding out for me. So what do you look for in a comic? So it depends. I, growing up, I was all about the mutants. You know, I love the superpower stuff. Uh, personally, I love Spider-Man, but X-Men, I, if I could get my hand, my hands on it, I'd go there. Um, and then at some point I shifted from the mutant superhero style comic books to almost solely the Star Wars comic books they had. And I think that's why I transitioned from comic books to graphic novels was kind of following that chain of events with the Star Wars where it was where it went comic book to graphic novels. But generally I'm looking for something I'm familiar with through like a regular culture medium, like a TV show or movie that I've seen. 
And I like being able to dive deeper into those movies or those TV shows with a comic book. So I like getting that, that deeper dive into a character's development or the plot lines that get brushed on in a movie or a TV show. How do you feel about when they change the, the show from, I mean, obviously there's a lot of comic book shows and all that now. Um, how do you feel when they change the, the show from the comic book radically? Like with Riverdale versus Archie? <laughs> so it depends. Right now I'm cool. Uh, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I was one of those guys that would have had a Molotov cocktail to find who, you know, wronged me in that sense. And I was ready to burn them down. But as I've, I've as I've grown culturally, creatively, um, understanding how you know the process works and how the mediums don't translate, I, I actually appreciate it more. So, you know, uh, Riverdale, I haven't watched. I need to check it out. I like what they did with Riverdale, Riverdale from what I saw, like the whole D&D um, sub theme that they've got going on. I haven't seen it necessarily. I've, I've seen bits and pieces, but I saw that they were doing this D&D thing. I was like, I don't care what's going on. This is cool. So I think what happens whenever somebody does that big drastic change where they say, all right, cool, this this comic book we're adapting to television, but we're going to put our own spin on it. I, I think now that is almost necessary because you aren't anchored to what happened in the comic books. And you're not You're not just trying to recreate something. You're actually building a new creative process off of somebody else's work and i think that's that's more honest on the director's side to spin off their own version of events for that medium and it, yeah it gets weird whenever you start talking canon right you know this happened in the movie this happened in the tv show and this happened in the comic book and it's not the same but outside of canon issues i think it's really cool to see somebody else's take on a medium like a comic book like that and turning it and adapting it into a screenplay or a TV show, and I like the surprise. Um, this wasn't a comic book, but Ready Player One, whenever they took the book and turned it into a movie, I know a lot of people were really upset about what happened there. But for me, I really enjoyed it because I'd already read the book a couple times, and it was fun to have a lot of fan service given from the book into the movie. You know, There was a lot of stuff that was like, hey, if you read the book, you got this joke or you got this scene, and it really brought you that joy. But the actual payoff from the movie was still still different enough that you were able to go along with the ride and be surprised at the end. I think that's really cool. All right, so if you take a comic and actually radically change it, what, which comic would you go after and how would you change it? Hmm. So if I was to change one, and this might be hackneyed because it's already been done a dozen times, but I would love to make a spin on you know one of the X-Men. Uh, and, and not Wolverine, because that's been done too much, and I love Hugh Jackman. But taking a lesser-known comic book hero like Gambit um, and being able to make a really cool spin-off series with Gambit, I think, one, you could maintain like a canon structure with it, and, and two, he's one of my favorite comic book superheroes, and I think that would be really cool to give him more life in a better-consumed better medium than comic books, and hopefully point people back to the comic books by making a really cool spinoff on Gambit. Would you bring in any of the Thieves World type situations or go something entirely I'm different? Sorry. Any, any of the what? Any of the, uh, well, in Gambit, the, the miniseries they've had, they've had the Thieves versus the Assassin's Guild. Okay. Oh, so like 
And yes, I would I wouldn't want to completely gut gut everything and say, here's this guy named Gambit and here's a completely new plot structure and everything. I you want to keep the universe verse similar. And that's kind of the point of whenever you're you're pulling it it and changing the medium, in my mind at least, you need to be respecting where it came from and taking that the, the plot structures and you know the universe and you're just building new stories in that universe and if they step on some of the other stories in the comic books okay that's fine it's fine like hey you know this guy did this but in the movie he's here again and he's doing something different that's that's acceptable but you don't want to be like you like hey you know the thieves and assassins don't exist anymore now we've got you know bloods and crips running around and gambit is cracking down on gang violence like that doesn't that doesn't translate, but you can build stories within, within, you know, those plot structures that exist in the comic books and translate them and them into your own stories outside of the comic books on, you know, a novel adaptation or a movie adaptation without drastically changing what people originally loved, but while still putting your own twist on it. Have you seen the uh, Cloak and Dagger TV show? No, but it looks good. That's the, uh, is that the DC one? Am I getting that right? Marvel, okay. I had seen a preview for it and I have, that, that was it. Like I saw the preview and I was like, that looks cool. I need to check that out sometime and kept on going. <laughs> I'm honestly, just, go ahead. You're the I was guest. Say, honestly, I'm actually really bad at watching TV and Netflix. Uh, a lot of my time is either I'm writing. I'm trying to convince myself to write by scrolling through the internet and, you know, what happens on those research rabbit holes and or, you know, cooking and working out. Like, I don't give myself a lot of time to watch TV or movies and like, that kind of stuff. Um, if I've got that free time, I'm usually reading a book. So I have a, I have a giant backlog of things to watch, but if I'm not watching it with my girlfriend... I'm probably not watching anything, period. Plus, Call of Duty's out, and I'm still not tired of it. <laughs> All right, so when you start setting up your characters and plot, what do you go first with? Your character, what's more important to you, your character or your plot? So I start with the plot. I, I like to have kind of a general idea on the plot, but what, is, but what is actually more important to me is the characters. I think the character development and the character interactions are what actually bring people in. So you need to have the plot to show what's ha- what's happening with the characters. But really what, what we're looking for is we're looking to relate to people and, you know, these comics we're reading and these books we're reading. We're, we're wanting to see either pieces of ourselves or pieces of people we know in these characters. And that's what's most important. You know, we're never going <laughs> to run into an event where we're tasked with saving the world from some evil mastermind, right? That's not... The, that's not the thing we're looking for to relate to. We, it's really cool, and we've all dreamed about being the hero. But when it, come, when it comes down to it, we're looking at relating to the characters themselves, not the situations they're in on the macro level. So that's what's more important to me. And when you basically start filling out how to do the plot, and how do you basically start work? How do you basically figure out what's going to happen? So I'm like you said a pantser and I'll I'll set an endpoint you know hey this is where I want I want to finish the story and here's where I want to start the story and I might have a couple of different things and I'm like hey I want to have I want to have this kind of specific scene or moment 
But beyond that, I'm just working towards that endpoint. I'm like, all right, here's the start point, and then I go. And I kind of wind my way through the plot until I hit that endpoint. And then I go back, clean it up, and be like, oh, yeah, let's let's try and make this as intentional as, it, as possible. Tell me you basically go after it marble block style. <laughs> yeah, which I'm going to take that as a compliment because if I could be on that level, awesome, which I'm way not. What I'm looking at is it basically sounds like you start off with the characters and then you put them into a plot, and you basically, through the various drafts, actually start basically hammering it into some sort of actual story. Exactly. It's it's to me kind of like forging a sword. Not that I've ever forged a sword, but I feel like that's kind of a good analogy. I'm taking, you know, the characters are the are the metal and the plot's the fire. And I'm trying to turn those characters into that that sword shape. And so I'm I'm going going through and I make the first pass. I'm like, all right, cool. I have something that roughly looks like a sword now. And then I'm hammering it out like you said. And I'm I'm fine tuning it with the plot to make the characters shine until they are sharp and you can feel them. That's the goal. I'm not gonna say I've done it well yet, but I'm I'm working towards making that happen throughout these, you know, stories I try and tell. <laughs> uh, it depends. For me, I try and be conscientious of not doing it because that is a, a bad habit on my end. You know, it's really easy for me to nerd out and really go into that information dump. And, you know, authors like Neil Stevenson, who he loves that kind of stuff. You know, he has these really big, interesting dumps of information sometimes. I, I love reading stuff like that. But not a lot of people do that, and especially in a fantasy world environment. I think it's off-putting for a lot of people. So for me, I, it happens a lot, but I usually try and kind of tone it down, pull it out, and make it less uh, less of a dump and more of a trickle. But I also think it's necessary sometimes. Sometimes you gotta you got to drop a bomb of information on a character so the reader knows what's going on. Yeah, I had to deal with that, and I'm doing a post-apocalyptic thing for uh, Camp Nano right now. Mm-hmm. So of course I did the whole. So of course I did the whole, you know, big action scene, get everybody involved into it, have maybe somebody die, you know, just basically a really decent action scene just to get everybody's adrenaline flowing, and then have let everybody know what the rules of the world were because, like I said, it's an entirely different situation. And, that, and that's that's kind of what you have to do sometimes. Uh, and I don't know if there's a, a necessarily a way around it. So it, I know I do it. I just try and avoid it when I can because I can definitely get in the weeds. Do you ever have to go back and you can be like, all right, I just wrote two pages. I need to turn that into half a page or <laughs> this this whole scene is just an info dump. and I need to, like, split it up with some action sequences or, you know, something cool. On the info dump. In this particular case, it ended up being about three or four pages, and it was just like I said, it is unfortunately necessity. I basically um, just had nuked the world. Basically, I needed to let people know this is what happened. Here's here's why. Here's the how, and all that kind of stuff. No way. So. I kind of like I like some stories and I haven't figured out how to do this myself. I think it requires a certain level of talent I don't have. But I like whenever a show or, 
you know, a book or a comic or whatever it is, is able, is able to take what you expect, you know, like, Hey, I need to know this information about something. And they knowingly withhold it from you because they know like all the characters understand what's going on. And even though the reader doesn't, they make that part of the, what drives the plot forward is you finding out something that everybody else already knows within the story. But I, I don't know how to do that myself, but I like it whenever there's like those things that like everybody just is taking for granted. And you're like, please just tell me what is going on here. <laughs> Why are there mutant zombies? Yeah, I'm sort of plus minus on that. Sometimes if it's, if, depending on how intrinsic it is to the, you know, the mythology of the world. If it's something uh-huh. like, say, Walking Dead, where you don't really care too much about why there's zombies, it's just you need to know uh-huh. how there's zombies, you know, you can get away without doing no real exposition. It's not really necessary. You know, everybody pretty much understands the concept of zombies. Sure. I, well, speaking of Walking Dead, they did a pretty good job, and, you know, spoilers if there's somebody listening that hasn't watched any Walking Dead and expects to do it. But I liked, I think it was season four, where they actually were like, hey, when you die, you come back. It's it's not just getting bit. It is death equals zombies now, not virus, virus equals zombies. And that was a really cool withheld plot point. And it doesn't, you know, it's not an info dump thing necessarily, but I, I thought they did a great job with holding that piece of information all the way till when they did. At that point, you're just evolving the care, evolving the creature, and that's fine. Sure, sure. Basically, you ever watch you ever watch a really some of the really interesting slasher um, franchises like Friday the Thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, I've watched uh, all of them, all the Tremors, except for maybe the last one and Friday the Thirteenth and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, Tremors obviously is the big, the biggest example of them, but you keep adding on to the monsters as the series progresses. Sure, and there's no explanation. It's just they're there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly how Tremors did it. It's sort of like, hey, we've got this new monster, but it's been a big part of the monster all, the, all along. We just haven't shown it. Sure. Yeah, this is a thing that you just didn't know. Right, but with Tremors, it sort of works because it's a natural evolution of the creature, plus it helps you, you know, set up higher stakes. That's fair, that's fair. And that's, again, that that's true artistry there. Even Tremors, you know, it's kind of a, a B-movie gag kind of show. But it still, take, still takes talent to be able to keep building those sequels and building on them. So props to them. You know, you and this is opposed to say the Wishmaster series where they kept changing the rules on how the wishes worked every movie. I haven't seen those, but that also pulls your your audience out whenever you change the rules. Okay, so great example of that. I was talking with the guy at the coffee shop the other day about Star Wars, and that was our complaint was you know like hey whenever they turned it to Legends that that killed all of us nerds because we that's what we loved about Star Wars pre you know the legend stuff was you were able to dive deeper into the canon and be like, Oh, I know how this works. And I know how this works. And look at this cool fact about everything. And then they're like, Oh, just kidding. We changed the rules on you. You're like, no, that's, you can't do that. The rules are rules. <laughs> that's why we're here. Yeah, I think that's why the prequel saga, or the prequel trilogy for star Wars died so horribly. 
is because you have the Jedi. Oh, because they changed the rules. Yeah, it's just like we're going to establish the rules over three movies, and then we're going to go back to a previous point, and everybody's more powerful than they were in, you know, the the yeah. It's just they just did some really weird stuff with the rules. Yeah, they see, and this is an unpopular opinion. I actually personally love Phantom Menace. Like it is, it's probably my favorite Star Wars movie, which. I know that's that's borderline blasphemy, but I do get where people were coming from on being upset with what happened with the prequels because it was, you know, you had here's here's what what a Jedi looks like and here are here's what the technology level looks like. And then when you go back and suddenly the technology is better and the Jedi are ridiculous um, it, and they fight better and, and, you know, the just the sword play in itself was ridiculous in comparison so I, I get i get why you could be upset about that and i'm not holding that against anybody but i just i love darth maul <laughs> yeah he's he that the fight with him and obi-wan and qui-gon oh i i saw i saw that you know anytime it comes on tv i'm it doesn't matter what's happening i'm in I think Phantom Menace is one of those weird movies that if you take it out of the context of the franchise that it's in, it's a, it actually is a pretty good movie. Yeah. But, and that's that's where the, pro- the problem is, is they made a good movie, but they didn't make a good story in the in the context of everything else. You know, they, they broke the rules. <laughs> and you can't do that. And that's kind of what we're talking about, is you can't break the rules on your story making and your plot and everything like that. If you're going to set them down there, you know, in an info dump, that's what it's doing is you're saying like, hey, here's the rules of the world. Here's how everything works. If you have an info dump, you can't go back later and change what happened. Be like, oh, actually, that whole thing I made you read so you'd understand what was going on. That wasn't real. That's that's unfair to your, you know, your audience. You know, yeah, sure. if you if you do it right, there's a way. <laughs> have you done that? Uh, not recently, but I'm looking at uh, shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hmm. I haven't seen the new. Have you seen the original all seven seasons? I haven't seen all of them. I've watched a fair bit of the original Buffy, and then I have no idea where I ended up at it because it was it wasn't one of those shows that I was pushing through on. I just would watch it when it came on TV. Okay, the jerk me is going to point out when you say original Buffy, we're talking the movie. Okay. Um, that's fair, too. I've seen the first Buffy movie. I don't think I saw any besides that one. Oh, well, no, there we go. I have seen the original Buffy. <laughs> I was say, I was like, I remember one. That's all. So I guess I haven't seen the other ones. But okay, cool. So, oh, and so that's what you're saying then is original was the movie and then they did the TV show and that was the remake. Okay, see, I thought there was two separate, and the, this just shows my ignorance, I thought there was two separate TV series. I thought there was like a, a pre-2000 Buffy TV series and a post-2010 like Buffy series. But obviously I'm wrong. <laughs> This is why I love. What this is, is why that? I hate Jace Joss Whedon sometimes. Oh, don't say that. 
Um, he basically decided to have a Buffy season eight, which ends up being a comic book. Really? I did not know that, and I am I generally try and keep up with all of Joss Whedon's stuff, but but I guess Buffy's not really on my radar, so it makes sense that I didn't hear about that. The key but, here, though, the, what I'm trying to point out, though, is they spent the entire first season bringing up all this mythology and all the rules of how the Buffyverse worked. Okay. And they decided to start playing around with changing a few of those precepts as time went on. But they did in such a way that it wasn't necessarily a rule change so much as it was a... We didn't quite understand the rule how it was supposed to be, and now all of a sudden we actually do understand it. Ah, uh, so you used like an unreliable narrator to say like, "Oh, here's the rules," and they're like, "Actually, we just didn't know. That's his fault for telling you wrong." Okay, that and that seems fair to me. Though I I do have, I don't know, I'm a I have problems with the unreliable narrator kind of thing. That's really not my jam. I think it's cheating, but that's just me, and I'm not famous, so I guess my opinion probably doesn't count. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, if you're reading it, you're like, hey, this is, you're telling me a story, like, you can't tell me a story and also tell me at the same time that the story might not be true to whatever extent you decide it's not like, that's, I don't know. Like, have you read Name of the Wind? Uh, I probably have. I just, I wait. No, I don't think I have. Okay. Well, it it's a really, really good fantasy novel. Uh, there's two of them. And that's his thing is there's a third book coming out. But the big, you know, internet argument is, you know, how unreliable of a narrator is the main character. And on my hand, I'm like, hey, that's, no, whatever he's saying is true. You can't, you can't tell me a story from this guy and then come back later and say it's not true. But that's where a lot of people think that the third book is going to get, you know, go is they are like, Oh, actually he was full of crap because he's a liar. And this guy that's been narrating to you is actually making stuff up. So that, that bugs the hell out of me, but also go, go read name of the wind. If you ever get a chance, um, not a comic, book, but he definitely, he is probably one of the best authors out there, at least in terms of writing ability, not in terms of production. <laughs> I will, however, do the obvious caveat. I love when they start messing around with uh, memories like you do in Rashomon. That was just sort of weird. I don't... I'm not familiar with that. What happened there? Do you ever watch a show or a movie where they basically explore it from different perspectives and everybody has a different version of it? Yes, and that that's always hard for me. That's the same thing. I, I, I struggle with that. I want it to be absolute truth, not relative truth. <laughs> Rashomon is the classic. It's actually when you start seeing that, that that's what everybody basically keys off of. How do you spell that? There's that word, there's that jerk part of me that says exactly how it sounds. Um, R A S H. Okay. I will find it and I will check it out. <laughs> Thing with Akira Kurosawa is definitely worth looking into, but especially for comic book writers, it gets really weird. You're gonna find out real quick that a lot of American movies that you really love 
have all their weird origins everywhere else. Oh, yeah. They steal... So I studied Japanese, actually, um, in undergrad. And that was one of the things that we talked about culturally was just how many things Hollywood stole from Japan. You know, there'd be these Japanese stories or movies and they just wholesale steal it and use it in an American movie and call it an original. Heck, I think that was Star Wars, too, on the Star Wars front. they I think Lucas took something like Hidden Fortress or Fortress City. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he essentially wholesale stole this Japanese movie and made Star Wars and just skinned it sci-fi style. Guess who the director of Hidden Fortress was? <laughs> was it the same guy? <laughs> Akira Kurosawa, yeah. Oh, that is... Talk about... Ironic's not the word. <laughs> How often have you but, seen the uh, plot where you basically have all these big mercenaries get hired by a small farming village to defend that particular small farming village? Oh, yeah, that's in everything. And that's the, uh, is it Seven Samurai? Yeah, I, and I love that. I love anytime somebody grabs that and is like, hey, I'm like, hey, there's, there's Seven Samurai. Awesome. I get to rewatch something I love or re-experience something I love. So I'm about it, but also, you know, plagiarism <laughs> probably not the best version of it check down battle beyond the stars okay i'll put that on the list i am i like having long lists so battle beyond the stars okay i'll check it out seven samurai in space <laughs> awesome i'm all about it really is like seven samurai is one of my favorite movies and so anytime i see it used somewhere else I'm about it. I was actually reading a Firefly book the other day. Um, it was kind of a continuation of the graphic novel series that, you know, Joss Whedon did. And he, he was just wholesale seven samurai another scene in this book. And I was like, yay. <laughs> it would have been hard not to. I wonder, I'm actually sort of curious now. I'm thinking about how many times Firefly used seven samurai. Uh, well, he essentially, it feels like he just took a space western and took all of the, you know, Japanese stolen western, you know, archetypes for, for a story. And he was like, all right, that's one episode, here's another, and here's, and blah, 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 blah. So, which good for him, I guess. He made a good show out of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely a shame it didn't last any longer, but... Yeah, don't even get me started there. I'll, you don't want to hear me cry on a mic. <laughs> if you really want to put some fun reading, track down the uh, Firefly RPG tabletop. There's a there's a Firefly RPG. Okay, I'm not mad about that. Even pretend they're great mechanics, but it's just sort of. But anything with Firefly is lovely. <laughs> Do some of the, the history of the world, and you get to see all the maps, and it just gets really weird really quick. That's cool. That see, that is a comic book series someone needs to do right. And I'm not saying that what they've done so far is wrong, but I would love that universe truly explored with, you know, similar settings. But you know, I love the Firefly crew. 
but it'd be really cool to see a broader view on that universe in a comic book. That would be fun. It doesn't help you. You've already got, even in the, like the Serenity movie, broke it down into where you've got the high-tech versus the low-tech situation. Uh, yeah, then that... Okay, I've got a question for you that has brought my family many arguments. Um, do you, if you're trying to introduce somebody into the Firefly Serenity universe, do you show them the TV show first or the movie first? Or options to see whatever that is. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're going to have to go with the show first. The pro- okay. okay. The, the problem is here is that the the movie will basically spoil way too much stuff that goes on in the show. Yeah, it it really you see the movie first, and it really cheapens Wash's moment. <laughs> so. So that used to be my side, honestly. Like that was what was what I was arguing was TV show first always, um, because you want to finish with the movie. And I saw the movie first, and I feel cheated because I missed that true payoff. But I just ran into this recently. I've I've tried to show a couple of people Firefly, and usually they'll let me, you know, force them buy them booze and food and be like, "Hey, we're watching this for eight hours. Just deal with it, okay?" But Recently, I was trying to show someone, and I was like, "All right, look, you just you got to get past past the first two, maybe three episodes, and the rest of the show is beautiful, and then we can watch the movie, and it's going to be absolutely everything you wanted." But because of those first two and a half half episodes, they they dropped it. They refused to watch the rest of the show, and so it it actually made me swap. And the second time that happened, actually, I was like, "All right, cool. I'm I'm swapping sides. I'm going to the movie first side because." It gives you a glimpse of how good the show can be without, you know, if somebody's going to watch the first few episodes, they're not going to want to watch the rest of it. I am going to throw in one caveat, though, and unless they're really hardcore sci-fi fans, they're probably uh-huh. not going to like sci- uh, Firefly all that much. There is that. You know, if they're not into that kind of thing, it's it's hard. And that that is also what I ran into was even showing this movie first. They're like, that was fun, but, like, you know, I'm just not a sci-fi person. And so I'm still trying to figure out a good angle on it, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The, the problem is the Firefly is just too intrinsically tied to the Western aspects of it. It literally is a Western in space. Yeah, and I, I love it, but I guess not everybody does, which those people are wrong, for the record. <laughs> the general way to feel, fill them out, strangely enough, is to find out if they're Star Trek, the original series fans or not. That's, oh, speaking of, have you seen the new Picard? I've been wanting to watch it because I heard it was great, but I haven't actually heard from anybody what they thought. One of the things on my list. Mm-hmm. I think CBS is giving it away for free right now. Uh, I think it's CBS. Okay, and I need to hop on that, but again, you know, any free time should be writing time. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm hyperkinetic, so I watch TV and write at the same time, so. What? I, I can't even chew gum and write at the same time. <laughs> I, can't watch, I can't watch dubbed anime. Don't get me wrong, sorry, subbed anime. But, uh-huh. and write at the same time, because like, at that point, I'm basically reading and writing at the same time. Yeah, that would be really difficult. <laughs> Good luck with that. You're going to start slipping in random words. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, 
Alright, so yes, the obligatory is, we're at that point, so any final advice as far as writing goes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm probably the wrong person to give advice on it, but to me, the the best advice I've read was from Neil Gaiman, and it was perfection is not the goal. Like, you need to at some point realize that good enough is good enough, and you got to release things into the public and let it do its own thing, because you can just get bogged down with chasing perfection. Yeah, so, you know, stolen advice. <laughs> hey, any advice is workable. And what kind of books do you, or what's your books do you have out there? So, right now I only have one book published. Published. It's called A Leaf and Pebble, and it's a, you know, typical fantasy Lord of the Rings Harry Potter style book. And in the next couple of months, uh, probably July, maybe August, I'll be releasing a kind of self-development book on how to be better, and it's called Dead by Tomorrow. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I hope I hope it's cool. <laughs> I hope people like it because you've worked too hard, and you know there's only so many tears you can cry. Right. So it's been great having you on. Just nice conversation for a change. Hey, I'm glad to help. Oh, and also thanks for the entertainment on face Facebook. You know, I'm not gonna dish detract too much but that was a fun thread uh you guys had going on there <laughs> which one the conspiracy theorist one with uh dan i think was his name right that was wild we should have a lot of i know way too many weirdos on facebook <laughs> well thank you for the entertainment and i i don't have those people on mine so it was nice to live vicariously all right well, have a good one. Absolutely. Thanks. And, and thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great day. This episode of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews is brought to you by Podfaves.com. You love podcasts, but it's hard finding that next bingeable show. Podfaves has taken out the guesswork by easily identifying the best podcasts out there, so you can spend less time searching and more time listening. That's P-O-D-F-A-V-S dot com. And that's our show. For those interested in supporting the show, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash two sparrows, T-W-O. It features minicasts, next episode, and unedited interviews, and I'm working on transcripts of the various shows. We also have an Alexis app offering two-minute minicasts offering writing and business tips, as well as affirmations to keep you writing. We also have curated playlists on YouTube, with all the shows broken down to different playlists based on topic. It also includes a good part of available minicasts, as well as the Alexis briefs. So please support our Patreon page, download the Alexis app, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, and please talk to us on Facebook. Thank you, and have a great day.